Welcome to the First Thing You Think Of podcast. I'm Olivia, the founder of La Casa de Languas magazine, a bi-monthly magazine about languages and cultures. And I'm Ellie, founder of travel brand One Globe 360. Uh, when we asked what is the first thing you think of when you hear Brazil, one of the main things that came up quite often was crime. And I think it's safe to assume that most people think of this when they think of Brazil. I mean, it's definitely something that I think of. And I personally think that it's something that would stop a lot of people from going uh, to Brazil. What do you think about that? Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something, you know, we've spoken about, you know, Brazil in lots of detail over the last few weeks. And we talked about, you know, the positive and negative sort of perspectives and perceptions of, of Brazil, of which, you know, crime obviously falls into that negative, you know, perception. And, you know, it, it, crime is definitely something that I do think of when I think of Brazil. And I think it could be something potentially that could put people off visiting Brazil which obviously is really unfortunate because Brazil, you know, and in my experience of visiting Brazil is such a fantastic country, um, but it does have its, you know, its downfalls and crime is, you know, something that is well known to be, you know, a part of Brazil. Um, and obviously it's something that people think about when they sort of think about whether they want to visit, you know, a certain country. So I would say potentially, yes, it is something that puts people off going to Brazil. Um, what about you? Do you think it's something that people can kind of sort of overcome or do you think it's sort of a big barrier to, to stopping people traveling? Yeah, well, I think as we, we've spoken about in some of the other episodes is that I think it was the first one, actually, is that there's going to be some stereotypes which are true and some which are wrong. And when they're wrong, obviously, you educate yourself on the right version of it. But I think with things like this, with crime in Brazil, it, unfortunately, one of those that that is right. I think there are some um, misconceptions about it and some things that are not completely true. Um, but in general, it is something that that is right. And in that sense, you know, we can't say, you know, it doesn't exist. We can't say that part, unfortunately. But the most important thing then is is to kind of like educate yourself on why and to learn why it exists and. Um, in terms of like going there is something like you can overlook. I think it's just something that when you learn about it, it's something that you can then understand. Maybe in some cases, especially with like crime against tourists, um, you know, we're going to go on to talk about that now. You can kind of understand why people living there goes to those extents. And I think then just kind of learn from that and not give any opportunity for that to happen, I think is the only thing you can do. Because I think it's always going to exist for as long as that, you know, wealth gap exists in Brazil. This is something that's that's always going to exist in terms of crime against tourists and stuff like that. And, you know, like you just mentioned, obviously, in the majority of cases, we, we cannot justify the actions of someone who commits a crime. But but do you think sometimes the motive can help us understand potentially why people take take these options to, you know, to potentially target tourists or, you know, people with iPhones, which is something we're going to be talking about? Do you think it can help us understand their reasons? Yeah, obviously, you know, with I think there's a cultural difference, you know, the way that we live here in the UK and the way that some people live in Brazil. Um, and I do think that well I think it's quite obvious in a lot of cases that is the motive behind their actions and you know while the action itself it can never be justified because if for example you break the law you know you break the law type of thing but in I do think it, it just yeah you just got to have a bit of empathy of why they do it and not not allow them to do it but you know just just take it in mind and I think yeah so the iPhone um, is the best example we'll talk about that and I'll go through that now um so it's yeah it's one of those things you know when you go to Brazil they will say you know be careful with your phones in particular iPhones and I think when we first hear that you know I think even here in uh, the UK you know there's that thing of if you got an iPhone you know you do think maybe I think more so when like I was growing up it was more of that that thing of like you know you got a bit of money you've got an iPhone now I feel like it's something that's a bit more kind of normal here in the UK rather than special like that um, but in Brazil, um, you know, it, it's really valuable. And I don't think a lot of people realise that. 
So on the Brazilian website, Technoblog, they found that Brazil has the most expensive iPhone 12 in the world when compared to other countries. So a 64 gigabyte iPhone 12 in Brazil, you would have to pay 8,000 reais, which is equivalent to um, 1,500 US dollars. And this is double the cost of what it is in America. Um, and then if you had um, a 512 gigabyte iPhone uh, Pro Max um, in Brazil, it would cost um, 13,999 reais, or the equivalent of 2,535 US dollars. Um, your initial reaction to that? Do you think it's a lot? Or do you think you'd have to put it into kind of like perspective to realise how much that is? I mean, my initial reaction is 100% like oh my goodness that is so much money and it kind of like we we're talking earlier about this understanding it, it provides more of an understanding as to why there is such a sort of a common issue of these iPhones being stolen in Brazil and you know um, these thieves sort of targeting tourists with iPhones because now we know the true value of these iPhones and in that in Brazil they cost so much money so considerable more you know more money than um you know in countries such as America where you'd probably think it cost the most but no it's actually you know Brazil it yeah. provides that more of that understanding that we talked about you know about why why people steal these iPhones but because they're, they're so valuable in Brazil yeah um, and this is something I didn't know before yeah, well, it's actually um, cheaper to travel to America, stay for nights in like a hotel in Miami, buy a MacBook Pro and then come back to Brazil um, and then to buy the actual MacBook Pro in Brazil itself. And you'd even save money doing it that way. So it's not just iPhones in general, but it's um, any product that Apple makes. See, that's crazy. Like, I'm sure for anyone listening, they'll be quite taken aback by that I certainly was you know four nights in a hotel in Miami buy a MacBook Pro and come back to, you know it just it it's striking isn't it that the 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 cost of of you know Apple products in Brazil and this is something I really wasn't aware of before and I know you know before we started recording this episode today I mentioned to you about when I was in Brazil and and how I just had no idea and there I there I was walking around with my iPhone you know taking photos and just using social media as I usually use my phone for. And I was so unaware of, of, of this issue of, of iPhones, you know, of, of yeah. them being so valuable in Brazil and them being a, a target for people to sort of try and steal them. And I was just so, so unaware. Um, and the fact that you've just said, yeah, you could go stay four nights in a hotel in Miami, buy a MacBook and it's, you know, it's the same price as buying it in, in Brazil. It, it really is striking. It really is. Yeah, and the reason behind it is simply because um, the Brazilian gover uh, government establishes higher taxes for devices that are not manufactured in the country. So Apple doesn't uh, manufacture any of their goods in Brazil, so it means that the um, the taxes are a lot higher, which just means that the price then of the products are a lot higher. And yeah, I mean, as you've seen in a lot of videos that we've watched about it, like the the average Brazilian, they can't afford these things and particularly for those living in the favelas I mean it's I think I can only assume that it'd be kind of like a, a dream for them to have an iPhone yeah I mean it really puts things into perspective doesn't it when you sort of think about you know how unobtainable it is for some people to even think about buying an iPhone you know in in the UK if I think of like my friends my family most have an iPhone and that's seen as pretty normal, right? Like in the UK to have like an iPhone or like a pretty good quality phone, like a Samsung or something like that, at least amongst people I know, yeah. that's the sort of perception they have potentially by people who live in the UK. Um, yeah. So it, it sort of puts things into perspective, doesn't it? That there's actually, that's not the case in Brazil in that, you know, in Brazil, they say, if you've got an iPhone, you've got this sort of status symbol of you're really wealthy and, you've got a really good job you know it's, it really forms part of like your status um which isn't the same here in the UK so it's really interesting to sort of compare the two countries yeah well in one of the videos we watched um and again all of the links also will be down below um it was Naomi Amar, um a travel youtuber 
and um, they were talking to one of their friends who lives in Brazil and he was saying how um, he stopped his car at the traffic light and someone smashed his window and reached in and stole his iPhone and it was done so quickly there was no time to kind of react but then he was kind of explaining that and he wasn't even like sad when he was saying this he you know he had a smile on his face he was laughing and he said that it's kind of like when you meet someone and they know you have an iPhone they kind of just change their attitude towards you you know um sometimes they save money just to buy an iPhone and they do this at the expense of other things so you know maybe they won't buy a lot of food or they won't buy a lot of clothes and they'll just save money just to kind of save up for this iPhone because again it's this kind of like it's this thing of status I found it really interesting how he just said you can just tell their behavior just changing around you that kind of yeah it puts it into perspective quite a bit for me and it's interesting to think about whether we have an equivalent of this in our own culture would you say there's like a product or a I don't know you know a service or something you know when I the first thing that comes to mind for me is is potentially like Gucci those things like that Gucci and Louis Vuitton in terms of people really seeing that as like a status if you see on social media you see all the influencers and celebrities have like Gucci Louis Vuitton and perhaps that's our equivalent what what would you say if, if you sort of were trying to think about an equivalent for our own culture here in the UK yeah well I couldn't really think of one until you just said that but then I even think like if I saw someone in the street with those types of things now, I don't know if like, well, I definitely wouldn't have the instinct to understand it, but I don't know if, if other people would. I don't know if they'd react the same way as they do with iPhones in Brazil, if that makes sense. I'm not too sure. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I, I guess this is the first time we've really thought about it. Well, for, for me anyway, I haven't really thought about sort of an equivalent of, of a, in our own culture. Um, I don't think our culture is potentially as similar in, in the fact that if if someone saw someone walking down the street with a, a Gucci bag would you try and ste- would you try and steal it I can't think that many people would I yeah. think it'd be more of an admiration if that makes sense people admire the fact that people have that I think it might be because um like in Brazil I think people need that money that would come from iPhones where I don't think that of course poverty exists here in the UK but I don't think it's to the same extent so people don't really feel the need to go to the same extent to kind of like get money if that makes sense yeah no definitely I mean of course there is of course poverty you know here in the UK um and it's obviously really important to to remember that um sort of when comparing the UK and and Brazil really interesting topic this isn't it you know trying to sort of come up with an equivalent and I'm sure we could come up with equivalents for sort of loads of different countries around the world but to me Brazil seems to be that sort of main example of the poverty seems to be so you know so apparent that it's causing this 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 um this issue of iPhones really this um perception of iPhones and the value of them and this status you know um is really interesting if you know I went to Brazil, like knowing now the and the facts and the figures that we've seen, would you be a lot more apprehensive to kind of just walk around with your iPhone out? A hundred percent. I I really would be incredibly aware of not just my iPhone, I guess, but just my belongings on me, where I am, being aware of my surroundings, who I'm around, you know. Um, because like I said before, I really... I really didn't, I didn't know that this, this was the case about iPhones. You know, when I visited back in 2019, there I was, you know, in Rio de Janeiro, walking down the street, I'd had my phone, phone out, you know, all the other places I went to in Brazil, I felt comfortable walking around with, with my iPhone. Um, but definitely now knowing what I do know in terms of what we've talked about in today's episode and previous episodes, I'd definitely be a lot more apprehensive and be a lot more cautious and careful about using my iPhone and and where I use it yeah I mean it's kind of like it's like teasing in a way isn't it like I think to put in perspective for us like you wouldn't go up to a homeless person on the streets and kind of like you know put food drink or like kind of clothes on I don't know like you know show your house keys to them or something like that because I think you know that you know people would really look down for you for that because you just wouldn't do it it's like you're teasing them and I feel like maybe that is the equivalent in brazil like you know you're just walking around like not in the world just with your iphone out 
I do feel like you are teasing them a little bit and I mean I feel like the homeless person kind of thing that's kind of um you know an example maybe that we can understand more here in the UK and like I think if you like if anyone did that what type of reaction do you think that would have do you think you'd be yeah do you think people people would look down on that wouldn't they they wouldn't be happy people with would, that people would definitely definitely look down on it um you know if, if someone was walking in the street and witnessed someone else you know sort of I guess showing off and teasing a homeless person with what they had on you know their belongings whether they had house keys or like you said food or drink I think people would really respond to that in a very negative way because that's really not a nice thing at all to sort of tease and show off and so I, I can understand that this is I guess it's sort of our our equivalent isn't it like we're talking about trying to find an equivalent this is probably would be the equivalent um, and by understanding this sort of equivalent you know situation I think it makes us understand Brazil's situation more if that makes sense with regards to you know the iPhones um, you know I think yeah I mean what do you think I mean I'm sure people would look very much down on someone that, that did tease someone you know on purpose yeah and I think you know when using that example then to put it into perspective of Brazil you know when you're carrying around something that is so is worth so much in that country around people who don't have anything I do think it is teasing them you know especially when you're just there with no care in the world just got the phone out and like it's and especially sometimes like it can be just so easy to do it like I've seen a lot of videos where they've been showing them doing it and it's just so easy like literally just a few seconds and I do think that is the equivalent of teasing them um, but I think if you didn't know kind of those facts and those figures about iPhones um, and how expensive they are in Brazil, then I think it's so easy to do it and just not realise. And then just if it happens, just to blame them. Whereas I think it goes back to that thing of, yes, the action of stealing the, the iPhone is wrong. But I mean, can you really blame them if the opportunity is there? I think because of, of what we've talked about in the, in the last you know few weeks about you know, just how difficult life is for, for some people in Brazil, you know, in the favelas with the poverty, you know, they are, they are just, it reaches a point where they just, they really need the money and they see that as, you know, unfortunately one of the only options they potentially have to, to get money and to, you know, feed their family, you know, live their lives where, you know, whether it be in, you know, favelas or, you know, somewhere else, I guess in, in Brazil, you know, it, it just makes you realise that, actually more needs to be done to support these people so that they don't feel like the only option they have is to steal people's iPhones right more needs to be done from you know the government from you know getting helping get these these people into jobs and into education you know so like I said that so that they don't feel like they have to steal these iPhones and for me perspective and I know we've talked a lot about perspective on this on this podcast series perspective is incredibly important here isn't it to understand their situation what do you think the danger is if we lack this perspective I think then we just look at it so naively and we end up blaming the people who actually need our help the most um and I think that just kind of makes the problem go round in circles it's not going to it's not going to solve it at all yeah I mean it's I know like I've just mentioned perspective is so important isn't it and it's important not just talking today about crime but in understanding the whole of Brazil like as a as everything really like we've talked about the culture the festivals the favelas everything um and what's also really interesting is there was a video which again we'll, we'll link down below all about pickpocketing in, in Brazil um and it was a, C, a CNN interview um, and they interviewed a pickpocketer who worked on the streets of Rio de Janeiro, um, who they called Pedro. And he said stealing five phones a day was considered, you know, he'd consider a good day's work. So according to him, his crimes aren't sins. They're just a way for him to make a living. So considering that wealth inequality in Brazil is the highest in the world, and also the facts that we've looked at surrounding iPhones in Brazil, can you understand why he feels this way? Yeah, I mean, it's... I feel like in a in a lot of ways it's kind of like a life or death situation. Like I I steal this phone, then I can have money to like live, even if it's just for just for a little while, you know, to get uh, afford food like stuff like that. Or you know, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, they can die through the poverty. So it's it's like 
I feel like a lot of them may not want to make that decision, but it's like, well, I kind of have to just to live and to provide for my family. So I do understand why he would see it that way. And I think a lot of people in that situation would see it in that way as well. But it's quite difficult to comment on when you've never been put in that situation in the first place. Yeah, it is. It is because it, we're sort of seeing it, aren't we, from you know this outside perspective and we're trying to sort of consider all the all the sort of statistics and opinions and perspectives to sort of make our own judgment. Um, and this is the idea of, you know, do you think this justifies his actions or does it just make them more understandable? I don't think any crime is can be justified, of course, because someone is on the receiving end of, of this crime. And in this case, someone has lost, you know, their phone or whatever's stolen, their wallets, their keys, you know. Um, does it make it them more understandable? Potentially so, yes, because we understand the sort of desperation that some people feel to to you know to 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 survive really to to earn some money and to be able to survive and I guess provide for their family and and for food and and, and you know and clothes and, and that sort of thing um so yeah like I said I don't think you can ever justify crime but I think you can gain more of a perspective and an understanding of why people do this and I think in the instance of of Pedro here this interview sort of highlights this doesn't it in sort of he gives his reasons as, as to why he does it. And it goes back to like what I just mentioned is, is it actually makes you think that actually so much more should be done from, you know, the government and sort of education in terms of getting these people into jobs so that they can make money in the right way, if that makes sense, rather than, yeah. rather than going to sort of desperation of having to steal people's belongings. Um, do you think there is anyone wrong in these situations or is it just a really sad situation overall? Yeah, I think it's just a really sad situation overall because I guess in an ideal situation, they wouldn't feel the need to, you know, commit the crime in the first place. But obviously that's not the case. And I think, yeah, we can understand now why they feel the need to go to those lengths. And also I feel like, you know if you're in Brazil and like you're a tourist or something you should feel comfortable like just getting your phone out and and you know taking a photo you know you shouldn't we shouldn't have to like tell someone that you shouldn't do that I mean that's something that like I know now if I went if I went outside you know I take that for granted and you you should be able to so you can't blame people for for wanting to do that you know you can't say that that's wrong because it's not So, yeah, I don't think anyone's wrong in those situations. I think it's just a situation that requires understanding kind of like on both sides. But what was um, interesting for me in that interview um, was that Pedro said that um, with jewellery and watches, people may go to the police, uh, but a phone is just a phone. And many people, they don't go to the police about that. So, you know, as we've seen um, why Brazilians see iPhones as so valuable, what do you think this says about the rest of us that, you know, we'll just, if we lose a phone, we just lose a phone. We, it doesn't matter that much to us. We'll just, like, probably we'll just go home and, you know, we'll buy another one or something like that. I think it shows that we don't see the true value in these possessions. We take them for granted. And I think it shows that we take them for granted in this this understanding or perception that you know if if certain people just lose a phone then they can just go and buy another one whereas to some of these people in brazil the idea of owning an iphone is is probably our equivalent of owning like a gucci bag something like or something that's like costs thousands and thousands of pounds you know our our perception of the value of iphones is completely different to the perception that those hold in brazil if that makes sense I think it's completely different. And um, I think we take that for granted, definitely. The fact that people would just go home and get another one. What does that show about us? That we, we just, we just, we don't, we don't, yeah, we don't care as much, which is really bad, don't you think? Like to have that sort of mentality. Yeah, and what surprised me as well was just, yeah, it was how easy it is for them. So he was also saying that they can, once they steal the phone, they can easily wipe it and they can set the phone for about $10. And, you know, even if you've got a password on it, it doesn't matter. And the new launches, they are considered a success if you steal one of them. 
But even if it's not a new launch, all iPhones are guaranteed money. So after styling it, he was saying that, you know, he likely won't have the phone at home for even a day. And maybe just one or two hours later, they may not even have the phone anymore, but they will already have uh, the money for it. And, you know, it goes back to that thing of teasing, isn't it? You've got this thing that is so valuable. Some people, they don't value it themselves. They they lose it. They go home, they get another one. But that is so easy to steal $10 to reset the whole thing. Hour later, you've got all the money. I mean, it just, it almost sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. It really does. And, um, you know, the way, you know, the guy in the interview talks about it it just seems like it's so straightforward right it, it he, he he this process that he describes is so easy he steals it they wipe and reset it and then that's it and within a couple of hours he'll have the money it it really it is striking isn't it really i mean it, this surprised me when i when i read this what was your initial reaction to sort of how quickly this process can be in terms of stealing it resetting it and reselling it on yeah I I didn't think it would be that straightforward I didn't think like an hour or two later they'd have the money I thought it would be a longer process than that but again I do think it's setting a perspective again when you put all of these things together the price of iPhones the you know how easy it is I mean they're obviously going to do it if they have the chance and what surprised me the most was just the extent that they will go to. So there's one video that I watched. Um, it showed a young boy jumping into an open window of a public bus and he snatched the iPhone out of the woman's hand. But the thing that got me the most was that the iPhone, it fell on the floor and it broke apart. And, you know, it was obviously worthless to him at that point, but he didn't just leave it there or like on the floor or something. He actually picked it back up and he handed it back to her. So what do you think that shows? Do you think it just shows that, you know, these aren't bad people? Like, he gave it back. He just wanted to have the money from the phone, not necessarily take someone's belongings for the sake of it. And like kind of when he knows that he can no longer make money from it, he wants to give it back. You know, what do you think that, that shows? I think it shows his, I think in this specific example, his sort of understanding and sort of guilt in a way and that, you know, like you said, it fell out and it hit it hit the floor and it smashed so to him he couldn't then go and sell it for money so it was almost like oh like this has happened I'm sorry here's it back I don't know it's so hard because you could still think like oh well he's done the damage now right the, the phone's broken but it's the act of him giving it back which sort of shows that he doesn't really want to have to do this it shows that sort of level of desperation which is really really sad because he's he's giving it back and it shows that you know what he was trying to do was just I think as he has to do which is to just he needs money and he's not necessarily a bad person he just saw the opportunity which a lot of these people that we've talked about do and and they they take the opportunity and and then he gave it back I don't know it's such like mixed emotions with something like this because you sort of have to put yourself in the position of both people you have to put yourself in the position of the boy who who jumped up to take the phone and then put yourself in the position of the person who got their phone taken from them so it's like mixed emotions what do you think yeah I feel like in a way I think oh, it's a bit cheeky giving it back to me now that it's broken type of thing um but yeah I think it also just I think it puts into perspective that he doesn't want to steal the phone itself he just, I think he just wants the money from it and when the yeah. money is longer there it's like oh, well I don't want the phone anyway I don't want to steal it from you I just want the money that it could it could give me um and I think that's an important thing to put there is like I don't think the majority of these people actually want to do the action of stealing I think they, they just want the money and then in that same um interview with the, with that man that we've spoken about Pedro he said that he, well, he was asked by the person interviewing him, like, you know, you do realise that, that you're potentially ruining someone's holiday. And he replied, well, I don't really think about that because if I did, no one would do it. When it's time to steal, you always think these other people with more money than those in the favelas. And for me, the most powerful words out of all of those was, I don't really think about that because if I did, no one would do it. And I think that just kind of puts what I was saying about that other example of that boy jumping into the public bus kind of like into perspective you know they can't think about 
the action that they're actually doing they just got to think about what they could get out of it themselves I think it yeah I think it shows that they don't really want to think about the repercussions for the person that they're taking the iPhone from because I think they do feel guilty but it's just there's an overwhelming feeling of like desperation and that they need to do it to survive you know they need the money so it's this idea of sort of wanting to avoid thinking about the consequences of their actions because if they did think about those consequences it would be harder for them to do it because they'd realize the sort of damage it might cause to someone or ruining their holiday or you know or someone losing their phone with all their sort of private information or memorable photos and memories or something you know for a phone everyone's got a different reason as to why it's important to them and I think it just shows that the people who are taking the phones you know they they do feel guilty but they're trying to sort of not think about that because they just have to survive what what do you think yeah that's what I think and like you know when he said at the end as well you know these are the people with more money than those in the favelas here and that's that's the truth isn't it like it's kind of like he's saying well it's kind of like that thing of what he said before there is that you know they can go home and they can just replace this phone and they just take that for granted you know and I think that's kind of him like reiterating the same view there is that they've got more money than us anyway you know if I take this thing from them they're probably gonna they're gonna get over it after after a while um and yeah you know it just shows that they value little things more than anything else and yeah you know I think it again just goes to show that they have to turn off that kind of that guilt that emotion to be able to do it because it is kind of like it's like that life or death situation isn't it it's like if I don't do this there's going to be repercussions for myself for my family if I do it it's going to have repercussions for for these other people but at the end of the day they're better off than me anyway they're probably going to be able to to live with the you know the repercussions of me taking their phone for example but as if I don't take their phone am I really going to be able to live with the repercussions of that on myself and my family and I think when you weigh those up I feel like it's quite easy to see why they do what they do I think you've summed that up perfectly honestly perfectly It, it it is just an overwhelmingly sad situation isn't it overall just about sort of their reasons as to why they feel that they need to go to the the level of of taking people's possessions but it's a it's it's a life or death isn't it if they don't yes they might feel guilty but if they don't do it then are they going to eat tomorrow are they going to be able to provide for their family for the next week you know that is the like genuine thought processes they probably have to go through so they decide to take the phone because you know they they have to like you said they sort of have to switch off that guilt part and prioritize themselves and their families and whoever they're needing to sort of care for and look after yeah I think the thing is that is like okay so so what do we do now do we all go around walking with the iPhones out so that they have an opportunity to steal them so we can help them live you know obviously that is not something that we can do and I'm sure it's not something people would want to do anyway but I think it's it kind of goes down to that. And it's like they obviously need support in another sense that they don't feel the need to kind of do that and um, to steal things. Um, but you know, we we ourselves can't help them with that. Um, you know, that's I think that's that's things that got to come from a number of sources, particularly the government to support them in that sense. But I think what it just comes down to is you just gotta remember it, put it into perspective, and kind of like don't give any opportunity for it to happen you know be very mindful of the way that you are with your belongings and don't give them the opportunity to be able to do it because I think it's so clear you know why they would do it if that opportunity was there you know like don't don't tease them with with that sort of stuff yeah it, I mean definitely I mean this whole thing has provided a complete you know new perspective for me on on this sort of and how people live their lives in Brazil and and sort of this whole thing about these iPhones and, and people feeling the need to, you know, to, to steal them and then to sell them on and the value of them. You know, it's, this, is all, this has all been very eye-opening for me and I hope for the listeners as well, um, you know, just learning so much about, you know, the reality. I think that's the thing, isn't it? The reality that's that of people, of some people's lives in Brazil um, 
and I mean, we can move on now into sort of the police favelas and crime as a whole, um, sort of talking a bit more generally. Um, so Brazil is a country with the highest number of intentional homicides in the world, with 57,358 in 2018. So we spoke in the last episode about the other side of the favelas and the good things that come out of them. And we touched a little bit on the first things we think about when we think of the favelas. Um, but would you say crime is one of the first things that comes to mind? Yeah, I think it definitely would be. And I think we spoke about that last time, isn't it? That via, we started to question, like, what is this other side of favelas? And it, we found that a little bit difficult um, without kind of going through and like researching things. But it definitely is uh, one of the first thing, if not the first thing that I think of. And I think we spoke about this a little bit just before uh, we started this now, is that I tend to think of, when I think of crime in the favelas, I tend to think of crime between those who live in the favelas themselves or those who live in the favelas against other people who live in Brazil or against tourists. But it's actually it's not quite that or it might be that but it's not that's not the whole story you know the police there's a lot of tensions uh, between those living in the favela and the police and I think that's not something that a lot of people know about or keep in mind when thinking about this crime in the favelas. And that's the interesting thing again about sort of perspective isn't it and sort of educating ourselves because like you mentioned like we talked about before there's maybe a, a misconception that it's just crime sort of amongst those in the favelas or it's just violence against those you know amongst you know themselves in the favelas but there, there really seems to be this you know police citizens divide if that makes sense um which is obviously something that i sort of i guess experienced somewhat during my time in brazil i think i mentioned in a you know a previous episode about um my friend who um who got robbed he we were walking along um sort of the pavement by Copacabana Beach and um yeah a pickpocket came along and, and took his his belonging his belongings his wallet his his phone um his keys um and um the police came the police saw and um I was initially very concerned because I knew that there were tensions between the police and um you know people in Rio de Janeiro and um when the police sort of uh I guess I, get, I thought that the, 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 the people in Rio might have felt, felt threatened potentially by the presence of the police in the, in the situation it was in. Um, so that sort of concerned me. Um, it, it, I didn't need to be concerned. It was all okay in the end. Um, but I could sort of sense this tension between the police and the Brazilian people, which is sort of interesting sort of when we're considering this topic as a whole. Yeah, and that was one of the things I was wondering, you know, if you, that tension was obvious. And I think, yeah, you just said it that, isn't it? That, um, but I do think from kind of the research, it does seem to be that it's it's a lot more um, obvious between those kind of like in the favelas. And I think you mentioned when in the first episode about Brazil is that they have kind of um, their own kind of like police station dedicated to crimes against tourists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, I'm trying to think about how far out it was. It's about probably half an hour just outside of like Copacabana Beach. And um, it's a police station dedicated to tourists who are on the, you know, receiving end of, of crime in Rio de Janeiro. And that speaks for itself, really, doesn't it? When there's a whole police station set up for tourists who, you know, who, yeah, who get robbed or who get you know, I mean, all, all those sorts of crimes. It wasn't just one type of crime. It was designed for, you know, for anyone to go if they, you know, something had happened to them. Um, you know, they, had, they had people there who spoke English, for example. Um, so really, really shocking when we turned up and we were told it was, a, you know, specifically for tourists. It made me really, really aware of where I was, if that makes sense, and what goes on. Um, and I, like I've said before, I do want to stress what happened to my friend you know I doubt would happen again if I went you know we're probably just in the wrong place at the wrong time but it's important to keep these things into perspective because it is the reality you know there is crime in, in Brazil there is crime in Rio de Janeiro you do have to be aware of your surroundings and you know aware of your, the belongings you have on you and like we've been speaking about not not showing off your your phone and walking around and just being I think maybe potentially just a bit disrespectful with your belongings from knowing what we know now about 
the poverty and the levels of poverty and everything. Um, so yeah, they 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 have a, a police station for 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 tourists who yeah who unfortunately are on on the receiving end of crime. But what what when I said that to you, what what did that make you sort of initially think? Yeah, it makes me um you know question like how bad it is because I feel like a lot of cities are known for pickpocketing. I mean, I think of like Barcelona and like I I take in mind like you know how how serious it is there but I think when you think about how they have like the like a whole kind of like thing dedicated to it I think it makes you question like even more the extent of it but when actually researching more about like crime in Brazil also found that um in 2008 the city of Rio set up um, another special police force um, which was kind of created to enter the favelas to drive out the influence of the gangs, which I think is another thing when thinking a bit more deeply about crime in the favelas, you think kind of about like the gangs. So this um, was known as the pacification of the favelas. But yeah, as we kind of touched on a little bit, you know, when police get involved in Brazil, this does lead, uh, lead to some pretty tricky situations and a problem that you know has become more widely known in over in across the world over the last year and that is kind of um police brutality and we have an example here of a, a young boy who was murdered who will get onto it in a bit but is kind of that police brutality is that something that you've thought about before when thinking of brazil particularly crime in brazil um to be honest no like i didn't think about it initially um, but it's something that is incredibly important to discuss and um, and to educate myself. You know, this whole podcast is about not just educating people who listen it, who are listening, but educating ourselves as well. So, no, it's not something that I that sort of came to mind initially when I was thinking about Brazil. But now I've sort of learned more from today's episode about the police and the crime, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, what about you? Did did you sort of think about police brutality when you were thinking about Brazil no and just thinking about it now it's like a lot of it tends to be against those living in the favelas so I think it goes into that thing again which I think I've spoken about before is that narrative you know um are, are they really going to want to talk about the actions of the police against the citizens particularly those who live in the favelas because then it doesn't kind of you know it doesn't fit in with that narrative does it like because then you're kind of provoking sympathy for those who live in the favelas where really if you look at the media and particularly that the media in Brazil they don't seem to want to be doing that again because it you know it, it doesn't fit in with their narrative although it would kind of be that you know it would be a shocking sensational headline and it would be something that would catch people's attention if it was in a newspaper or something it, again it just doesn't fit in with that narrative so I wouldn't be surprised if it's something that a lot of people uh, you know don't know about or just is something that isn't one of the first things that come to mind when they think of it because I, I would be surprised if it was well known and I certainly didn't think of it you know I always thought of crime as being something that that happened either between those in the favelas or what was committed by those who live in the favelas against other people. You make a really interesting point about the role of the media again, which obviously we've discussed in a lot of detail and the role of the media in sort of influencing our, you know, initial perceptions of Brazil. And maybe the way the maybe the way the media sort of perceives or portrays police brutality in Brazil has sort of impacted whether we think about whether we associate police brutality with Brazil or not. It's, I guess, something else to consider, isn't it, when you're sort of evaluating the media and their articles and what's on their front page and and also what we read you know is there is the media does the media in brazil focus on issues of police brutality and is it just the world news about brazil that doesn't which is why we don't know about it it's just something to consider isn't it again the role of the media within all of this yeah so yeah it's, it's that thing of like yeah it's just that thing of a narrative again isn't it it's like are they really going to want to show that side of it and I'll go on now and explain um the example um so on the afternoon of May the 17th um 19 year old Brian Santos was murdered by a police officer in um, a favela in Rio de Janeiro and it, it was described by the, um, the police as an accident and one of the first things that the police officer said actually was I didn't do it 
However, this is a fate that is often dreaded by families of young, dark-skinned men who are disproportionately represented among the homicide victims in Brazil. And that's another thing that I didn't think of, is that a lot of the time those who are being killed by the police are actually black. Um, when they found him, he had no weapons, he didn't have any drugs or any illegal things on him, and he also had no known criminal ties. And his death actually took place in a state where killings by police had cl- uh, climbed by 16% in 2017, according to government figures. And in September of the same year, an eight-year-old girl was shot, according to bystanders, by a policeman who missed when aiming at a motorcyclist. And her death makes up just one of several children allegedly shot by police in 2017. I mean, this is is completely shocking, isn't it? It it's incredibly sad um, and it's something that I, I wasn't aware of really again I, I wasn't aware of the extent of of what we've what you've just spoken about um, and you know like you said about Brian Santos the police initially saying it wasn't me you know what does that what does that say about the police what, what do you think yeah and the majority of times I was reading that nothing ever happens to us they never get any kind of of justice um you know and I think it kind of shows like oh it wasn't me it's quite obvious that it was me but you know I'm just going to say it wasn't me I'm not going to have to face any you know repercussions of my actions because well you know it's kind of like we're well, all from the favelas I'm part of the police I know who's going to protect me you know the government would probably protect me they're not going to protect you type of thing it's also too like obviously you mentioned that Brian had no weapons no drugs no other illegal materials so makes you question you know why was there any was there any justification from the police I don't know I mean potentially not because you know there there seems to be no reason no legitimate reason why they've 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 you know they've shot Brian Santos you know it really really sad it it, it sort of makes me yeah really sad and just sort of again just so I just so wasn't aware of of this happening in Brazil but it seems to you know be happening with increasing frequency like you said you know his death took place in a state where killings by police climbed by 16 percent in 2017 so this is becoming an increasingly you know more of a prevalent you know occurrence and more of of an issue as sort of years have, have, have gone by um and then September of the same year a policeman killing an eight-year-old girl you know it's it's really really shocking and 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 what do you think you know does it do you think that something surely must have to be done by the government or do you think there's a do you think the fact that it's these killings have been sort of allowed to sort of increase you know by 16 percent in 2017 do you think this shows lack of action by the government well that's interesting actually because that was one of the next points um I I personally think that the government is a large part of this problem. So the current um, president, Bolsonaro, he he wants to introduce legal protections for police who kill on the job. And he has proposed this in a bill to lessen sentences for officers who shoot because of what he describes as excusable fear, surprise or violent emotion. And obviously that is very subjective you know what like what um, kind of situations that um, kind of comes under and in the past he's also known for saying that criminals should die like cockroaches um, also one of the governors of uh, Rio he's ordered for um, snipers to fire on suspects from helicopters and he also told foreign journalists that suspects when confronted by police um, should surrender or die and a congressman from Rio um who's also a veteran researcher on violence and crime, said that it's almost like the police feel authorised to kill. And I think that it's kind of that they feel authorised to kill by the government. And the, the discourse stimulates violence. So, I, yeah, I, I don't think... I think that the government, they push the problem more than solve it. And I don't think, with the current government, I don't think they're ever going to solve it. I think they're just... Yeah, I feel like... It's almost like they're kind of endorsing it more than anything. I think it shows, like you said, that the government are sort of pushing Brazil into an increasingly deeper hole in this issue, if that makes sense. 
they're pushing Brazil further away from a resolution or further away from justice, you know, and the government are protecting the police and not protecting its citizens, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, because he's, you know, wants to introduce legal protection. So covered by law. Um, and there seemingly is no protection or legal protection for citizens. Seems in- incredibly un- unfair and it must be incredibly upsetting for the families of the two people that we've just mentioned who were shot by police. It must be incredibly upsetting and um, yeah, deeply frustrating for their families to, to sort of find out that Bolsonaro wants to introduce legal protections for police instead of legal protections for people who 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 are you know shot by by police yeah and that's the thing you know as i said he said it's four cases where there's excusable fear surprise of violent emotion and just you know how that is such a subjective type of thing isn't it like you know i could say someone just walking from the streets and maybe if i knew they're from the veil as well all oh, that that's that scares me you know i could say well maybe that means that any action i take from that is is fine well he's because he said you know any excusable fear surprise of violent emotion you know it's so subjective and it's so broad I feel like so many things could come under that and it's very like individual if you feel like that you know I think that's so scary like maybe if it wasn't a problem that was so widespread in Brazil and he was just doing it to protect any police officers if they ever came in you know in this uh, kind of situation I wouldn't agree with it but I'd kind of be like oh well it's not a big problem anyway you know deal with it if it happens but when it's such a big problem and he's pushing for these things to come in it's like you can kind of see whose side he's on kind of see like his motives behind why he he's doing that you can yeah you can see who Bolsonaro is prioritizing in this issue he's prioritizing the police um, and yeah, this idea of excusable fear, surprise or violent emotion is incredibly subjective. You know, who who decides? Who decides whether what someone says is, is excusable fear is actually excusable fear? What, you know, it's incredibly subjective. There's no list, is there, that, oh, this happened with this, so that goes under excusable fear or excusable surprise, and that then justifies the actions. There's, there's, no, there's no list. It's incredibly subjective. And, and Bolsonaro is prioritizing the police which you know I feel I feel immensely you know for for the families like I said of those who were shot dead by the police because they seem to not be receiving any form of protection or or justice for for what happened yeah and that goes back to the example we had of Brian Santos is that he wasn't found with any illegal things on him no criminal ties or anything but I feel like even that police officer who shot him could say, well, I was scared because I knew he was from the favela and I thought that he could have these things on him. And that would come under what Bolsonaro said. It would come under all of those things and it could be excused for that, for that reason because it's just so broad and it's so subjective. But really, just because I think, you know, if you think that someone could have those things on him, that, that's a stereotype in itself, isn't it? You know? I don't think it comes under what he said because again it's so broad and so subjective but it's it's not really a good reason because of a stereotype and that's really what we're trying to do here isn't it it's all breaking those stereotypes and unfortunately because that stereotype exists and because those police kind of feel authorized to kill by the government is that you know he was he was killed yeah it does like you said it it does go back to this whole idea of stereotypes and obviously within this podcast we're trying to you know, break down these stereotypes and break down these misconceptions. And and in this instance, Bolsonaro is, um, yeah, he's sort of, I guess, encouraging the police to to sort of succumb to these stereotypes and, you know, perceptions of people and, and this sort of idea of excusable fear or surprise. You know, it's so subjective. And, you know, do you think, can you see Brazil changing? Or do you think that it's so stuck in this in this way because of the government? I think if it was ever to change, it would have to be a completely kind of different government. Um, and Bolsonaro is quite known for just kind of looking down on those in the favelas. And I think it's, it's when you look down on the people who need your help the most that, you know, 
the problems that exist in those areas are never going to be solved. And it's it's quite clear that he's not just not solving those problems that exist in, you know, in that part of society, but it's almost kind of like he's he's waging the war between the other people who live in society against that part of society. Um, and yeah, you need a completely different government who has a completely different different views on on the situation if you you ever wanted a change. And just just a bit more information about this. Um, most victims of police killings are dark skinned, which is an accurate reflection of the socioeconomic and racial ratios of the favelas. Although more than half of Rio's population is white, they only made they only made up twelve percent of those killed in two thousand seventeen. All of the rest were black. Does this disparity surprise you? I think, um, well, in terms of Brazil, is something that I've never thought about. But if you look at maybe in terms of the world, I don't think it's something that that is surprising. It's something that obviously has like been seen in the media a lot more over the last year. I think in that sense, it's not surprising. In terms of Brazil, it's something that I've never thought about because I think, as we said a little bit before, is that when you think of crime, this type of crime is not something that comes to mind when I think of Brazil. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, when you mention, obviously, the whole world, the whole globe over the last year, it's become ever more present in, in society, isn't it, and the media and the news all about this, you know, the disparity in, in you know, percentage of those, um, you know, for example, you think about America and, and um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement last summer and, and um, the, the, the killing of George Floyd, um, and I think when people think of, of this, they associate a lot of this with countries such as America. And maybe they don't potentially see Brazil as, as part of this as well. But obviously showing, you know, and listening to those statistics, it shows that this clearly is, is a problem in, in Brazil as well. Um, and yeah, it's something, again, that I, I didn't know too much about. And I've learned so much this episode about, about this. Um, you know, as we looked at, at in the diversity episode, race is and has been throughout the history of Brazil a very complicated topic, particularly due to the previous aim that we've talked about of this whitening of the population. Do you think this is still subconsciously there and then therefore explains part of this? I do think so. I think it's there, you know, subconsciously. Um, I think it's one of the most clear explanations. And I think um, it's unfortunately, I think things like that, they're ingrained in us until we learn or teach ourselves that they are wrong personally that's what I think um yeah I think it's one of the only explanations that, that you can give that kind of encompasses it all I mean again isn't it? it this whole topic that we've talked about today is a small part of such a wide variety of topics that we've talked about across this series isn't it and it relies on an understanding of what we've talked about before to sort of understand what we've talked about today, if that makes sense. So obviously we've looked at, you know, a lot of the history of Brazil and actually then understanding why present day Brazil is as it is because of what happened in its past. So it just shows, doesn't it, that, you know, looking at the diversity of, of Brazil and the history and the culture and and all the sort of present day issues with crime and the government and the police brutality, it shows that there's just so much to, to consider before we form these judgments. You know, like we've mentioned, this podcast is about breaking down these misconceptions, breaking down these stereotypes, understanding all the evidence we have, all the information, all the, all the opinions, all the perspectives. And then once we've got all that, we then form an opinion. You know, yeah. I think it just does show how important history is to understanding, you know, Brazil in its present day, which obviously has a lot of issues that we've discussed and also some positives. You know, we have discussed the positives of Brazil as well. And I feel like obviously today we've looked at crime, which is obviously a very negative thing. Um, but, you know, we have in previous episodes talked about the positives of Brazil and and sort of trying to, I guess, come to sort of an overall, you know, balanced judgment of, of Brazil, um, of which history is in incredibly important to, to consider. Yeah. So today we have spoken a little bit about the Brazilian government and their relationship with the people. And I think this is not a stereotype because I do think a lot of things that we think about the Brazilian government are true, but 
in even in those situations you know I think you need to ask why you need to educate yourself more on the topics that you can come to kind of a balanced judgment based on facts rather than just kind of like blindly thinking whatever you think so next week we'll be discussing this a bit more looking more into the Brazilian government and their their relationship with the people as a whole so yeah thank you so much for listening to today's episode um, of the podcast Um, it's been very eye-opening I'm sure for both of us to to learn more about crime in Brazil Um, and again talking about the history and and that being incredibly relevant as well to all the topics that we're talking about with regards to Brazil so yeah thank you so much for listening And uh, see you next week.